I thought I could smell cooking on the wind. The village dogs were barking, as they often did at the end of the day. The smell grew stronger and turned acrid. I was not frightened, not then, but some premonition made my heart start to beat more quickly. There was a fire ahead of me. Fires often broke out in the village. Almost everything we owned was made of wood or straw. But I could hear no shouting, no sounds of the buckets being passed from hand to hand, none of the usual cries and curses. The cicadas shrilled as loudly as ever. Frogs were calling from the paddies. In the distance, thunder echoed round the mountains. The air was heavy and humid. I was sweating, but the sweat was turning cold on my forehead. I jumped across the ditch of the last terraced field and looked down to where my home had always been. The house was gone. I went closer. Flames still crept and licked at the blackened beams. There was no sign of my mother or my sisters. I tried to call out, but my tongue had suddenly become too big for my mouth, and the smoke was choking me and making my eyes stream. The whole village was on fire, but where was everyone? Then the screaming began. It came from the direction of the shrine, around which most of the houses clustered. It was like the sound of a dog howling in pain, except the dog could speak human words, scream them in agony. I thought I recognised the prayers of the hidden, and all the hair stood up on my neck and arms. Slipping like a ghost between the burning houses, I went towards the sound. The village was deserted. I could not imagine where everyone had gone. I told myself they had run away. My mother had taken my sisters to the safety of the forest. I would go and find them just as soon as I had found out who was screaming. But as I stepped out of the alley into the main street, I saw two men lying on the ground. A soft evening rain was beginning to fall, and they looked surprised, as though they had no idea why they were lying there in the rain. They would never get up again, and it did not matter that their clothes were getting wet. One of them was my stepfather. At that moment, the world changed for me. A kind of fog rose before my eyes, and when it cleared, nothing seemed real. I felt I had crossed over to the other world, the one that lies alongside our own, that we visit in dreams. My stepfather was wearing his best clothes. The indigo cloth was dark with rain and blood. I was sorry they were spoiled. He had been so proud of them. I stepped past the bodies, through the gates and into the shrine. The rain was cool on my face. The screaming stopped abruptly. Inside the grounds were men I did not know. They looked as if they were carrying out some ritual for a festival. They had cloths tied round their heads. They had taken off their jackets and their arms gleamed with sweat and rain. They were panting and grunting, grinning with white teeth as though killing were as hard work as bringing in the rice harvest. Water trickled from the cistern where you washed your hands and mouth to purify yourself on entering the shrine. Earlier, when the world was normal, someone must have lit incense in the great cauldron. The last of it drifted across the courtyard, 
masking the bitter smell of blood and death. The man who had been torn apart lay on the wet stones. I could just make out the features on the severed head. It was Isao, the leader of the hidden. His mouth was still open, frozen in a last contortion of pain. The murderers had left their jackets in a neat pile against a pillar. I could see clearly the crest of the triple oak leaf. These were Tohan men, from the clan capital of Inuyama. I remembered a traveller who had passed through the village at the end of the seventh month. He'd stayed the night at our house, and when my mother had prayed before the meal, he had tried to silence her. Don't you know that the Tohan hate the hidden? and plan to move against us? Lord Eda vowed to wipe us out, he whispered. My parents had gone to Isal the next...